to the 52 Week Podcast, where three friends grapple with the ups and downs of goal setting and achievement. Coming at you for another week. Hello, my name's Steph, and I'm the wannabe runner. I'm Meredith, the ginger. And I'm Kelly. I'm just along for the ride. Hello, my name's Steph, and today I have Meredith McBride with us. Hello. So Meredith and I first met up at Utah State. Go Aggies. Aggies all the way. Yes, we were living on Darwin (laughs) Avenue and Meredith lived in what I like to call the mullet building. Oh, see, we called it the dungeon. (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) I have many names, but it was a (laughs) dentist office in the front and then apartments in the back. So it was like business in the front, Mm -hmm. party in the back. (laughs) I love that apartment. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's where we met. And then we, um, we would see each other here and there, but we really got reconnected a couple months ago yeah. at a karaoke party. Thank you, Josh and Charles, for hosting that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then you came on a camping trip. Yep. So that's where the story sort of begins. And do you want to explain... Oh, are you okay talking about that night? Okay. So do you want to explain that campfire, the what I like to call fire talk that went down? Yes. So I don't know where I was at the beginning because I kind of... Somehow I missed the beginning of it, but I joined everybody else once you guys had made it halfway through the circle. But somebody had started our fire talk, um, and they had asked the question, what is one thing that you wish people knew about you? Um, Just anything that people just don't, you know, at first glance, they don't pick up on or they just don't see. And so we were going around the fire talking about each of our stories and there were some about you know there were girls that were five three that were like I just wish people knew I was as tough as I am like I'm tougher than I look I could take any of you down and then there was others who were I just wish people knew I was more intelligent and um, one person a very handsome man who really is such a good guy he was like I wish people wouldn't put me up on such a pedestal, wouldn't make me out to be better because I'm not as great as people think I am. And uh, he went on to explain that some more, and everybody had more explanations about it. But as it came to me, you know, that's a big question. (laughs) You're trying to think about what everybody's saying, but you're also thinking about what you're going to say. And uh, when my turn came, my answer was that I kind of wish people knew I was as great as I am. I feel like I'm a ginger. Yeah. (laughs) I I get overlooked for blondes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just there are certain moments in my life where I'm like, I just just wish somebody could see how cool I really am and how funny I am to myself. (laughs) (laughs) So that was kind of our discussion. It was pretty deep. I like those fireside talks. <laughs> I know. and But really, when you had like said that, because you, you were like, I just wish that I, like, yeah, I wasn't overlooked. And people knew how I was yes. like, Meredith is awesome. And so we were in the tent the next day, and I was like, Meredith, can I interview you for Notable <laughs> Peeps? And so I want this to be your time to, like, shine so everyone oh, can man. know <laughs> how cool you are. I don't know if I'll know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Just pretend like the microphones aren't here. We've been friends for years, 
but I really don't remember like the small talk questions about you. You grew up in Magna, I think. I grew up West Side, okay. Magna. I am the youngest of eight girls. There are no brothers Ooh. in my family. Yes. Um, amazing mom and dad. Um, my dad actually passed away when I was 18, just before I graduated high school. Was that um, unexpected? Very, kind of. Like, he had been sick. He had pneumonia, but he was getting better. And then one day he was driving home, and he didn't make it home. <laughs> so, yeah. We could talk more about that if you have questions. Yeah, so he was in a car accident then? Or? No, actually his heart just stopped. So we don't really know what happened because... My dad was a businessman, and he had been in Logan, Utah, um, doing some sales up there. He had visited my sister, and then on the way home, my mom and I were getting ready for dinner. I was the only one at home, living at home at that time, and she tried to call him. It was like five thirty, six o'clock. Tried to call him. He wouldn't answer his phone. We continued to have dinner. I was actually trying on my sweetheart's dress because it was February. And uh, we got a knock on the door, and I came up, and I had my sweetheart's dress on, and it was halfway zipped up. And I walked past our door, which had a window next to the door, and there was highway patrol. And so um, my... I called my mom and I was like, mom, there's an officer at the door. And she came and she's like, I know. And so we opened the door and they told us that um, they had found him pulled over on the side of the road. And as highway patrol does, sometimes they just pulled over to check to see if everything was okay. And he was having a really hard time breathing. So they called the paramedic and basically his heart just stopped. And it's one of those things that... um, you know God needed him um, because yes he was sick and but he really was healing and he was taking care of himself and but it was like poof he was gone and the kind of interesting part is that again I have seven sisters and each one of us had like some kind of moment with my dad that day like he dropped me off for school when he doesn't normally drop me off for school and we had had kind of a more personal conversation that morning and then I know that my sister that was going to school at Utah State had had just some like impressions throughout the day and he had visited my oldest sister to drop off some valentines to them so each one of us had this almost moment with our dad without having our dad being there with us but yeah, that's when religion comes in handy because you know it was taken for a reason rather than an unfair God. <laughs> but but still, I mean, to have that religious knowledge, it still probably sucks to not have your dad along. Around. Yeah, like it didn't. It probably didn't really hit me for a while because he traveled a lot, and so his presence it was definitely missed, but it was not as recognizable. And then. I remember a month later on his birthday that that's when it hit me and I kind of had a breakdown about it, just cried a lot over it. I think I miss him more now as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody else mentioned at church their dad had also passed when they were young and she's like, I just miss the grown-up conversation that I could have had with him 
as a teenager, I'd fight with him. I'd mm-hmm. I'd want the final word, and yeah. he wanted the final word. But as a grown up, it would be interesting to hear the advice he'd give me on dating or on moving situations or job and how to handle that. So I think I miss it more now than back in the day. No, that's understandable, especially as it's been a while too. And so how did that experience, I guess, we we really have like no agenda for this. <laughs> I'm just like going off the cuff. But how did that shape you? Like how do you feel like that molded? Because that's at 18. That's right before you went to college. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it made me tougher. It also, I think, helped me kind of stick with the gospel a little bit more strongly. Like going off to school, having kind of that testimony of the plan of salvation and stuff. I think it made me a tougher person to be able to have that really hardship and push through it. Made everything else a little bit less important you know the little things or but also I think I had somebody to live up to like he's watching all the time gotta watch what I'm doing Mm -hmm. but also at the same time I think I've made poor dating choices oh really (laughs) yeah like what do you mean like there I've dated a bunch of people (laughs) who I don't think my dad would have approved of (laughs) but also I had an incredible dad who really set an example. So even though I dated these guys that in my younger 20s that I didn't really see a future with, he still has set a standard for what I want to marry mm-hmm. sort of thing. But yeah, I think it's been harder because I I got along with my dad better than my mom. Just in personality-wise, my mom and I kind of butt heads a little bit more. And so there have been times where I'm like, well, what would my dad have told me? Or And that's where those adult conversations Mm -hmm. really would have come in handy with him. Um, I also think that profession-wise, I probably made some of my decisions for my profession based off of him. And I knew he had a stable life. He was able to provide for family. He was more corporate America. And so... My degree is actually in speech-language pathology, but now I work for Huntsman Cancer Foundation, and I do the money side of all the donations and processing that. But I feel like he'd be proud of me, where I am and what I'm doing and how much I'm making and providing for myself. So I do feel like even when I went to college the first year, I was a business major. I didn't do very well. Yeah. (laughs) But I had changed a speech, and then I'm back in business. And I do think that has a lot to do with him. And I think he would be proud of me. So that is... that? The nice thing is, actually, his gravesite is by my ward house. So I live less than a mile from where he's buried. So I do get to visit him often, and... You don't really talk to a dead person, yeah. but, you know, sit there and kind of get that peace from uh-huh. the approval that you hope you have from yeah. him. <laughs> so. Well, and you, so you had talked about how he set the bar high, mm-hmm. like, for dating what you're looking for in a man. What are some of the things, like, how did he set that bar? Uh, there's just so many. Like, raising a family, he was very strict with my mother. They worked very much as a pair. 
Um, we had family home evening every Monday night, and that was a lot of his doing. I remember playing with him as a kid. He would lay on the grass in the summertime, and we would wrestle with him. But also, he made us do chores outside. So, I mean, with eight girls, somebody's got to mow the lawn. So we all did. And so we did. He would make sure that we worked hard, but also got to play. I think um, his example was just that when he would go anywhere, he could talk to anybody. He'd start up a conversation with anybody. But he never judged, never um, thought less of somebody for their situation in life. And he was just a very nice person. I remember one Thanksgiving, back in the day when they pumped your gas for you. Oh, I wish that that still happened. Oh my gosh, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was a guy at a Sinclair, or I think it was a Chevron, around my house that we grew up in, a Magna, that had to work that night. He was coming home from something and had to get gas, came home. He prepared a plate of Thanksgiving food and took it back to him. And, you know, that's just one of those things that really stands out. And then at Christmas, probably not the Christmas before he passed away, but the year before, there were two boys in our neighborhood that was being fostered. And the foster family didn't have a lot of money, but they were an honest, good family, where he decided to buy those two boys suits for church. And so he took them and... My dad never had boys, so this was very exciting for him. Yeah, I bet. He took them to somewhere to buy them a full suit. And just because he was a good guy. Like, he expected nothing in return. And uh, just, it was things like that that wasn't a rare occurrence. He was always thinking of other people. And so I think one of the standards I have for future spouse is that... I want to see him being nice to anybody, no matter what. Um, sometimes we see in men that they're they're only nice to the cute girls or the women. Ones I that think that could women. be men or women. Yes, yes, for sure. That they are nice to the ones that they're trying to win affection from, mm-hmm. but forget about the needs of those others, even sitting in the same room, sort of thing. That's a big one to me is just that I saw my dad doing that. My dad was also a convert to the church. Um, He met my mother at a church activity, but where he came from and who he became was also kind of incredible. They were not, it was a split home. He smoked and drank, joined the military, and in the military he met somebody that was LDS and came and stayed with them when he was was stationed in Utah or something and joined the church and kind of never looked back. Um, he full force believed the church, had a very strong testimony of it, and um, he led, like lived the gospel more than anybody else I think I've ever seen. He lived the gospel. I very rarely heard him swear or it's probably when like the lawnmower wouldn't work or something. (laughs) But yeah, he's just a really good guy and a really good partner with my mother. So 
That's cool. It's cool to hear a little bit more about your dad. Yeah. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit. So okay. then you went to Utah State mm-hmm. and you graduated in speech pathology. So I did. what were some of your favorite memories from Utah State? Did you love it up there as much as I loved it? I loved it. Yes. Utah State Utah State is a very special place. It is. I thought Utah State was the perfect combo of like a good culture but also fun and just the perfect balance of safe but party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been so long. I just remember having in Darwin in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Um, my roommates was Brittany. Brittany Martinez. Martinez. I hope you're listening. <laughs> Brittany is just the best. I agree. I miss that girl. She's far away. She should not be so far away. But um, Darwin was fun. I remember mainly a lot of it was just like the roommates I had mm-hmm. more than other things. Okay, one of my most embarrassing moments happened at Utah State. Oh, it's here. So I was walking through the student center where they had the hub, mm-hmm. and that's where the tables are and the booths, and, and people they had could really go. good bread there. Oh, such good bread. And people would go eat, but you'd also study. And I was walking out of there, and I saw my friend. I saw her jacket from behind, and so I went up behind her, and I was, like, creepily peering over her shoulder. <laughs> and she turns to look at me, and it's not my friend. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, you're not who I thought you were. (laughs) And so I walked away very quickly. But Mm. me being a creeper. Yeah. She showed you. (laughs) Back to how I'm amazing. (laughs) Not a creeper. But yeah. um, Utah State sitting on the quad. Um, I had amazing professors in my degree. Pretty good stuff. I think the reason I was so impressed with your comment at the campfire is because you seem to have this healthy (laughs) self-worth. And that's hard to find, especially like lately I've been struggling with my self-worth. And so how, how did you do that? Like how, how do you, I don't even know how to ask this question, but like how you're like, I wish wish people knew how cool I am. Like, how do you know how cool you are? How have you developed that? (laughs) Does that even... Jive what I'm saying? Yeah, it makes sense because I've I go to therapy for this. Just kidding. Um, I think pros and cons of coming from a family of eight girls. Um, the pro is that you always have a friend, and but also that's probably where part of my complex of getting overlooked comes from. Because being the youngest of eight, the assumption is I'm the favorite. I was spoiled, and I was the best child that my mom ever had, but that is not the case. <laughs> I was going to say. That's <laughs> not the case. You know, I followed after my older sisters were straight-A students, Sterling Scholars, and towards the end, I don't know if my mother was so busy, but <laughs> we just didn't do as well in school, like the last three of us. But I think that also fueled some competition or some need to make my own way because all so some similarities between me and my sisters is we all worked at magna mosquito abatement we could talk about that in a moment okay we all killed mosquitoes for a job that got us through college and we 
during high school, all my sisters played soccer. And so by the time I got to high school, I was like, I don't really like to run. (laughs) I'm going to find something else. And so I played tennis, which could be seen as like a more rebellious side of me too. But I think it was the need to kind of stand out. And then I also was a student body officer, which one other sister had been a student body officer. And I kind of look up to her too. But it just required having to kind of make your own place a little bit more in the world. And then when I went off to Utah State, I was really excited to leave Cyprus. And that's where I went to high school in Cyprus. Um, And it was like a clean slate. Like I could be anybody I wanted to be. And I think I was able to do that, kind of set a groundwork for myself as what do I want? Like, I have nothing but to be honest with myself. And so I tried business because that, again, was kind of came from my dad. I wanted to be more like him, and I knew that was successful. But then I also found that that didn't work, and it was okay, and found speech-language pathology, which is ironic. I don't use it now, but... <laughs> um, except for on this podcast, your speech is sounding <laughs> Thank awesome. you. I'm very articulate. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Um, I think, I really think that a lot of it comes back to my sisters. Um, we all still have a very close relationship. Last week we had our family reunion where all of us were together and all of my nieces and nephews, which <laughs> also brings up the next fact is like, I was the youngest of eight, but by the time I was 10, I was probably 11 or 12 actually, my first nephew came around. And so then grandkids are the favorite. Mm. That totally trumps the youngest child. (laughs) Totally jumps. So I kind of took, I felt like in my life, took a back burner to that. And then even getting older, I still don't necessarily feel like I get, I kind of feel like I missed out on a childhood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because like nieces and nephews came around and Easter was about them finding the eggs not me Mm. I'm still 10 I should have been over it (laughs) trick-or-treating should have been over that you know we all have our things (laughs) my childhood so yeah I kind of feel like I got lost in the midst in probably one of the most fundamental social groups in our lives and so in my family also being all women very opinionated very outspoken which is an amazing quality. We get a lot done as family. <laughs> but you also have to fight for a lot of attention. I find myself not. And mm-hmm. so I think that's where my comment really came from was the fact that um, I'm not a competitive person. If it's between me and another girl that a guy likes, that I like, I'll let her have him. Like, I'm not going to, you know, fight for that. Or I, I don't need to. <laughs> so... Does that kind of answer it? Yeah. I feel like there's more to say, but I got off on a tangent maybe. But but, but I get what you mean that like growing up in a big family, like you had to find your place. And mm-hmm. so your confidence couldn't come from being the baby of the family or exactly. having your parents like tell you how wonderful you were. Like you had to find that self-worth. Very much so. And probably too, like going back to my father passing away, th- there was a lot more independence that had to happen f- quicker. I mean, we're all very independent. We all think we're very independent at 18. Mm-hmm. But like going off to school, you still have your parents to kind of fall back on, maybe financially or for advice. And 
again, my mom and I are very different and not necess- not a bad way, but we're just different that I kind of had to think of solutions on my own rather than turning to somebody. And then even going to the fact that being single now kind of forces us to be more independent on our own rather than t- going home at the end of a frustrating day and talking to somebody about it. And I don't know, maybe that's the part that I wish or don't necessarily think people see you know you go through so many hard things and you're like I came out on top mm-hmm. nobody saw it dang it you know or yeah that's been I think I remember part of the conversation where I don't know how we'll relate I'll let you run with it mm-hmm. but part of it and this is a very hard thing to do because I'm putting myself in a almost I don't know what the word is but putting myself in a vulnerable position mm-hmm. which is hard for anybody to do yeah. but one of the comments I had made during the fireside talk or our fire talk was mm-hmm. that you know like I'll walk I was working with this girl we started the same day she was beautiful she had the perfect jawline the perfect teeth she had been a bodybuilder so she had an incredible physique and like we would walk through the office and people would watch her, but never, I never felt like anybody saw me, you know? And I, she's gone from my job now, but I work with another very pretty person where I just, you know, walking through town, it's not even my family and feeling recognized or whatnot, but it's like being pretty enough that people notice me rather than the beautiful person I walk with. Because I have really pretty friends, so... If anybody wants to be my friend, I have pretty friends. (laughs) (laughs) But you are pretty yourself, my friend. And maybe that's where, like, my... Like, I've got a lot of confidence in who I am as a person, but maybe not my outside. And that was a comment that was made in the talk. Um, one One of the people in the talk said, maybe you just don't fight for that kind of attention, or... And I understood that, like... It's it's inside me rather than what everybody else is thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know we all have we all think we could be better looking or a better person mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, saying it out loud, I know that it is really my me thinking that I'm not as pretty as my beautiful friend Allie yeah. or. Ironically, both those coworkers' names were Allie, so mm. Allie Rios or Allie Hammer. <laughs> yeah, that I just wasn't as I'm just not as pretty as them. I think I know that personality-wise, I'm amazing, but again, other people, I don't feel like get the chance to see it, and I don't really know how to fix that. You know. Well, and it's just interesting because, really, hands down, like the number one thing, I feel like. Right now, as we're chatting, it's not as organic as it normally is, right? Uh Because there's microphones (laughs) in front of us, and it's different than in a group. But I feel like when you're in a group setting, like, you're very witty with your comments and everything. (laughs) Coming back from that camping trip, um, most of the people I talked to, you were one of their favorite people that they met. Oh. Uh, Which is true, because you are so down to earth, and you're just, like, fun to be with. 
Thanks. I did have a lot of people Facebook friend me after that. And I was like, what is this? Yes. (laughs) But I wanted to go back to what you were saying about how you feel like your personality is great, but maybe your looks aren't as great. And I think that that is something that everyone listening has their thing. Like, I, I feel like people like me at first for my personality and then I get boring. Like I have this huge fear that I become boring after someone gets to know me really well and then they won't want to be around me. And so, so it's just interesting all of our different complexes that we have. And one thing that I've been really working on, I was um, at lunch with a friend a couple weeks ago and she was telling me, she's like, guys just don't want to date me because I'm really smart and intimidating. And I just told her, I said, that's bull. Like, this is a lie that you're telling yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. that is not the reason. And then she started talking. She was like, well... She's like, I think because that's an insecurity, then I try to overcompensate. And then I was like, exactly. And I actually just texted her today because I was at a social thing with her last night. And she was just so herself, so genuine, just like radiated. And I texted her and I was like, hey, like, you're so much fun. Don't ever believe that lie. And she's like, actually, like, I took your advice to heart. I've been like, not. I've been trying to not tell myself that lie anymore. And she's like, and I feel like it's changed who I am. And so that was a cool, like, example to, to real life example to see too. So, but it's like, it's hard. It's hard hard to change. Like whatever is in your head is the hardest roadblock to move out of the way. Yeah. Cause it's you, it's your choice to think that, but we almost can't see any other way because it's us looking at us but I will you don't get boring I again have known you for about six years right no um college was oh my gosh <laughs> that's okay we can say it was six years not six years it has been more like 10 years actually I mean we don't have to go that far but yes yeah, it really years. hasn't been six 10 years. years either my math there's a microphone in front of me people yeah. we've been friends for so long and even we didn't see each other for a while. Life took us our own ways. But then picking up with you right where we left off was so easy. And I'm so grateful. But yeah, there was something that you said that I wanted to... F- and thanks for saying you don't think I'm boring. I don't think you're boring. <laughs> I could hang out with you all the time. June's over. That was our event month for Huntsman. We can start playing Kay. again. Sounds good. Oh, what was it? Oh, well, we'll have to come back to it. It'll come back to me. So what direction should we go now? So I often ask this question, have you ever had something in life that you felt like was impossible? And how did you overcome it? Okay, so I'm going to use this one. There probably is a better example, but this is the one that comes to mind is that um, I think with my insecurity of um, being overlooked, that the importance of men and the companionship has always been kind of important. And so I've, I've dated a lot in my life. And again, some of them haven't been the greatest. Like I've very much settled. Um, and then I dated somebody for two, two and a half years. And, um, when we started talking about marriage, it fell apart, but 
like we weren't meant to be together. So it wasn't a terrible falling apart. But after that, I had realized how much I needed to learn to be by myself and to be better who I am, which actually reminds me of what I was going to say. Um, but I think something that I thought was impossible or subconsciously thought was impossible was that I was okay on my own. And so after we had dated, and it was hard because I deeply loved that person. He was, to me, my better half at the time and my best friend. And um, But instead of jumping into another relationship and trying to heal that way or to fill the void... Um, I spent the year probably watching a lot of television Mm -hmm. (laughs) just because, um, like, I needed to learn how to do it on my own. Didn't know how long I was going to have to do the single life or whatever, but um, I think that was probably one thing I didn't know I could do. Maybe didn't think was impossible, but didn't know how to do, and I forced myself to do it. Like, I... um, not only didn't date, but I didn't really go out and make friends. I did my job and I worked on like maybe cooking or some crafts. You know, I spent my time doing good things, but I wasn't trying to be out there for somebody else or being social or um, trying to get married or putting my focus on things I didn't really have control over. It was more of just trying to figure out who I was and what I liked and just kind of taking time to be like, you know what, I can do a significant amount of time by myself and I'm pretty great, which probably also adds to my confidence level on an individual basis. And that's probably one of the most important years I had in my life where I actually lost a couple friends out of it because the year before broke up with Noel and so that first summer, we broke up in May because it was right as he was finishing school. And I went camping, and me, I had a really close friends. We went camping, and I just kind of hit the ground running. And then by the end of that year, some hard things happened. And the next year, I was like, this summer, this summer I need to kind of stay close to home. I need to do a little bit less than I had because I almost didn't accept the fact but the second year I was like you know what no boys I'm going to keep the friends I have but I think that um I probably lost a friend just because I needed to heal on my own Mm -hmm. um and there was maybe not some communication or understanding that happened and so you know it was hard because I lost some important people in my life because of it but I also gained myself and so kind of a bittersweet sort of thing that happened with that. Well, and I feel like sometimes with friendships, like maybe you aren't as close, but you can reconnect at another point in life, you know, like mm-hmm. after some so time. Yeah. 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 Cool. That is important to be able to learn how to be alone. Yeah. Because I'm sure even being married, like you have to be able to handle certain things on your own. I mean, we're forced to because we don't we just don't have somebody. But um so that goes for everybody. Not just because I was dating somebody and had to learn how to not be, but standing on your own two feet is very important. Definitely. But I remembered what you 
what you, from your story that your friend had told you that she took your advice and was genuinely herself. I think that's actually what happened at our little camp out was I didn't have your wonderful advice to go off of. <laughs> but I went up to this camp out that um, I only knew you. I didn't know anybody else. And I texted you that morning and I was like, I don't know anybody, but I'm still coming. And you had um, said that, well, nobody else really knows anybody either. Everybody probably brought like their, a plus one or a friend to come with, but none of us knew each other. And that was such an awesome experience. It was, that was a hard thing because, um, you know, it's hard to go to a social thing without a sidekick or a wingman. But going up there where I knew nobody else knew anybody else, I feel like all of us were so much more genuine than if we had all been in the same group with another group. You know what I mean? We all were able to really open up with each other and have such a deep conversation over a fire. Very vulnerable conversation with a whole bunch of people we've never met before. And the only option was to just be yourself and just be genuine. That was one of my favorite moments of the summer so far is just that little group sitting around the mm-hmm. fire and being so raw with each other when everyone was strangers. Like, And even like the advice we gave each other, the advice that people gave me and the friendships that were made from that were... It was more a feeling of the advice that was given rather than necessarily remembering what they said. Mm-hmm. That was pretty cool, like changing for me. And what I'm thinking is funny that like we keep on reverting back to this campfire for this yes. podcast. But, like, but it was really cool. So. It was. And so for me, the weekend before, I think it was the weekend before, I had rode in Little Red Riding Hood. And Little Red was super hard this year for me just because what what is that okay yeah little red riding hood is an all-female bike ride in northern utah and it's it's different distances and it's a cycling event and um i did it last year i did 37 miles and this year's my goal was 50 but yeah and i was so excited but it rained a lot so it made training really difficult and at the same time, my friend that I was going to ride it with, she um, was dating a guy, and they were at kind of a crucial point in their relationship where he invited her to go to this wedding, and um, it was the same day as Little Red, and she asked if I could, she could go, and I was like, well, yes, this is very important for you guys. Um, it was kind of like meeting his family mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so she wasn't with me, so my wingman wasn't there. But I was really nervous about the fact that I was doing this alone and that I hadn't really trained. And with some complicated things that happened for Little Red, the distances all changed. And so I ended up just deciding to do the 30 miles, which I had done 37 last year. I should be able to do the 30. Um, But I had only been on my bike maybe two times, and the longest I had been on was 20 miles. So I was like, I got this, but mentally I was just not in the right place. Friend wasn't there, the rain had been there, and, you know, just a lot of things. And when I had gotten up there, I run with a group called the Huntsman Heroes, and they fundraise when they do these events. 
they fundraise for cancer and then they get to ride in these events. And so there was a group of people who were Huntsman heroes and I had kind of told them that I was by myself and they waited for me to start the race. So I had... I found some friends to ride with, and it was still really hard. I was keeping up with them, but it was like one of the most beautiful experiences because I was making myself do a really hard thing. 30 without training at all. I'd only been on my bike twice since last Little Red, (laughs) and I hadn't trained on any hills or anything, but it was like, it was a very hard experience. Just because mentally I had made it hard, I had talked myself kind of down from stuff, thinking it was going to be harder because my friend wasn't there. It was going to be harder because I hadn't trained. I was going to have to do it alone. But then I had this group, and we had this Peloton where you just looked in front of you, and you could see everybody's helmet, everybody's number, and we were just in this beautiful straight line. A Peloton is where one bike rides on each other's wheel and you draft off of each other. Mm -hmm. So it makes it very easy. But it's a very cool picture as you're like passing people and it's this one snake line. But I remember coming in the finish line and because I had just really mentally made it harder on myself, like I just cried. And but it was I was so proud of myself for not talking myself out of it. I had so many excuses not to ride in Little Red. My friend was gone. Well, if she's out, I don't need to ride. Or I hadn't trained. It would be so easy to be like, well, I don't have to do it. But people had donated. I had fundraised $1,000, and that was a huge motivation. I was If people gave me money for cancer to ride this bike ride, I can't not do it. Yeah. But also I was like, (laughs) when I was a kid, when I was in junior high, I played soccer, but I hate running. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I would, on running days, I would make up excuses like food poisoning or something sore. And so I would, yeah, (laughs) I would totally get out of running And I've thought a lot about those experiences in my adulthood and how I wish I had just pushed myself rather than looking for the excuse and getting out. And uh, I'd been thinking about that leading up to Little Red. And I was like, I can't let myself do that anymore. And so I pushed myself really hard. There were four hard hills that we had to go up. And um, each time I got a little bit better and a little more confidence. So the whole event was just so was just what I needed to kind of push myself over a le- just not a ledge like a bad ledge mm-hmm. but a good ledge to kind of get myself out of a rut and be like I can do hard things I've been very stagnant in my life so that had happened that weekend and I just cried <laughs> I cried at the finish line I was like I can't even stop um and then the next weekend I had gone to your camping trip and I was like I don't know anybody I just know Steph but I know that Steph is cool and the people that Steph are friends with are high quality people. So it was like, I had all the excuses not to go, you know, I didn't know anybody. I, um, had to drive myself up there before we talked. Um, but I made myself go and just kind of put myself out there. Yeah. So those two weekends were kind of miraculous for me in my personal life where I don't know the winter months get hard I never thought I had seasonal depression before but coming out of winter into spring 
and having to do this bike ride and then putting myself out there on a social, like physical and social where I didn't know anybody I had plenty of excuses to get out of it. Um, but making myself go anyways, knowing that it would turn out right. And, uh, that's kind of why I probably talk about this weekend a lot because for me, it was a, it was a big milestone. Um, to put myself out there to be social because I'm an extrovert <laughs> and I got used to not being an mm-hmm. extrovert. Yeah, don't work your s- social muscles. Yes. And they, they were getting a little shaky. And so it was, it was pretty cool. I remember playing a game with a couple people and I lost terribly. But I was like, you know what? Just play the game and lose and be proud of yourself. <laughs> so. To me, it was more than just like a camp out. It was something I really needed to do in my life. So again, you change somebody's life. <laughs> You're so sweet. You and can't I- cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> well, just hearing you talk, I'm, I'm, I noticed you had talked about how these two things were big deals for you. And and that's what I think a lot of times people think impossible and they think of the like stuff like climbing Mount Everest or mm-hmm. you know like the those things that are just way up there. But I think every day in life there's the challenges that just seem so hard and especially in social situations of going up to mm-hmm. a stranger's that you don't know and then starting mm-hmm. a conversation like that is literally impossible for people and it's not really talked about you know like mm-hmm. but I think that that is like it's a feat and uh, and especially lately as I've been exercising my social muscles like it's hard at first and it's awkward and like you stumble, but once you get in the groove of things, it's like so much fun to be able so to like that. connect in those ways. But well, and it's one of those things that I remember my mom as a kid being like, Oh, go do whether it was young woman's or sports or whatever. Just go. I know you don't want to, but it'll turn out all right. And it really always did turn out well. And so that's one of the things I told myself, like, just go. It is going to be worth it to exercise these social muscles. And it really did turn out for the best because I went up there with no expectations and just like, okay, you don't know these people. You don't have to be anything spectacular or whatnot. Like, just go be yourself. And when you are just yourself, it always goes well. Well, maybe not always things happen, but <laughs> in the end, um, for me in this instance, it, they turn out well. No, your mom is very wise. I do agree that mm-hmm. you always have fun. And, and so it's cool when you can have those moments where it's like, wow, I just did this really hard thing and I could have given into the excuses, mm-hmm. but I didn't. And I think that is something to be celebrated. I think it's so easy in any phase of our life to get to where it's almost easier not to try something out of fear that you might fail. So you're just not going going to try. And um, like no matter where we are in life, whether it's high school or college or our career, 
I find myself always having to motivate myself or look for those opportunities or create those opportunities where you have to stretch. I really do love how you call it the social muscles. Um, exercise the social muscles or exercise your emotional muscles. Like you really have to do that in every aspect. But life is all about progression and making it better and pushing forward. And so when you have these opportunities, it is easy. You have two choices to give into the excuses or to push through it and become a stronger person. Even if it doesn't turn out as good, you still learn skills and things like that. So going back a lot in our <laughs> talk. Um, so you talked about how you graduated in speech language pathology, but now you're working with Huntsman cancer. What what happened to the transition from that to like business side? I started out as a business major and <laughs> I couldn't pa- I didn't get a very good grade in some of the business classes and I was like, well, if I can't do well in these classes, then I should probably look for something else. And so I took a whole bunch of intro classes to others and one of them was speech speech language pathology and I loved it. I loved, we did some hands on internships kind of. And, um, and so I decided to do that. But right then I went on a mission. And then when I came home, I finished the degree and it was two years. And, um, when we finished the course, we all took the GRE. And I did not do very well because standardized tests and I don't get along very well. But it was fine because I still needed to take one more class during the summer. And I was like, that will be perfect because I can work for the summer, study to take the GRE again, and also kind of get a job that's maybe a speech assistant or whatnot. And um, so that's what I did. I took the class during the summer. Um it was a human anatomy. I didn't want to take it at Utah State because it was a hard class at Utah State. <laughs> um, and then I took the GRE again. And again, I didn't do very well at all. And um, actually, to back up, I still applied for grad school at the end of my senior year. But I didn't get accepted. And that's when I was like, okay, here's the new game plan. Let's go forward with that. And I had gotten a job in an elementary school where I was a speech assistant and I, and it was really actually more difficult than I thought it was. And maybe not because of, I just didn't like it as much as I thought I did. And the teacher I was working with, um, we didn't have good compatible, um, personalities, but I still pushed forward. And I remember putting everything into my sep- second application. Um, I had, I worked in the job, so I had the experience. I took a class to help me take the GRE and then I had really good letters of recommendation and experience. And I thought, okay, so I prayed about it and I was, I was like, Hey, Heavenly Father, God, this is, this is it. I'm putting everything in there. If this is meant to be, provide the way I know. And again, my GRE score wasn't very good. So I probably took the GRE four times and it, they never was the standard of what I, probably really needed. I did really well on the writing part, but the math part killed me. And um, so I put everything into it. And um, I remember I applied to 
Utah State and the University of Utah. And then I really should have applied to Ohio just because I love Ohio. Mm-hmm. Very weird. But um, I went up to Utah State for an interview for their program. And then on my way home, I was like, oh, my gosh, I feel so good about this. I'm coming to Utah State. I'm just I just know that I'm going to get accepted. I should start looking for acceptances for housing and I didn't necessarily want to go back to Utah State, but I just felt really strongly after going up there for that interview. And when I got home, I had checked my email and I had gotten my rejection letter from both schools again. Oh. And I was like, cool, wasn't meant to be, let's move on. And so I started looking for... That's cool that you just were okay to move on. Yeah. I mean, probably a little sad, too. Very. But, like, I didn't really allow myself to. So I started applying for jobs because I knew that my backup plan was to go a completely different route. And um, so I applied for a bunch of kind of receptionist, administrative assistant jobs. And I got one with a law firm. And that was a really hard job, but it taught me so much. And then job just kept leading to other jobs. But going back to your comment, um, I, because I just was like, fine, whatever, we're moving forward. I almost didn't allow myself to really mourn the loss of that option. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And so I kind of had a breakdown, not not a mental breakdown or anything, but like, just that I didn't allow myself to be sad over that. So I, I had just pushed forward, was like, okay, well, this is what's meant to be. Let's do it. Let's go. And then I remember just being so grumpy and my sweet, sweet roommates, you know, they could tell I was going through something. I was trying to put on a good face. And there's just one night where my roommate said something that made me really mad. And I stormed off. And I think I cried. (laughs) We were at family home evening and I was walking home. It was in West Jordan. And I just cried. And I like, I allowed myself to be very disappointed. And, um, And so I had this, and again, my roommates were so sweet, like they were looking for me anywhere because I just kind of disappeared and (laughs) they didn't know where I had, but where I was. But, um, I finally allowed myself to be very disappointed that this career I thought was meant to be really kind of failed me in the end because I couldn't pass the test and I couldn't do it. And so I was very disappointed, disappointed in myself, disappointed that, I wasn't smart enough to pass this test, you know, at the time I thought. And, um, but when, once I had had that moment, I was like at peace with it and really knew that that was what was meant to be. And because I am incredibly happy with where I am now in the business side of the world, because I did love speech. I loved working with the kids and, but it really wasn't something I was going to want to do for my whole life. Um, and I really love making spreadsheets and tracking money. (laughs) Hey, I'm glad that you like to do that because that's not everyone's cup of tea. (laughs) No. And it's funny because it was accounting that I didn't do very well in college, which made me want to leave the business degree. Oh, interesting. in a roundabout way, I still ended up where I originally really wanted to be. If all that makes sense. Yeah. You know? And so I... 
it was accounting that I had gone into a professor and I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> um, but now I'm dealing with money and doing bookkeeping basically with people who donate to Huntsman and, but I'm very good. So donate to Huntsman. <laughs> <laughs> so nice plug. Nice yeah. <laughs> so that is how I went from being speech language pathology to business. Cause they are very different, but and it's still fun for me to have that knowledge because like when I'm walking through the grocery store or I'm playing with my nieces and nephews and they're doing something interesting with their speech, I can still look at them and be like, okay, he's saying he's doing this with his mouth instead of saying it like this. Oh. And there was one little kid that I was on an aisle over. And by the way he was speaking, I thought, He's had some head trauma. And when I came around, his head actually had stitches. Mm -hmm. So he had had like surgery on his head. I don't know whether he had had a tumor, but just by looking at him. And I was so proud of myself because like my college education didn't go to waste. Mm -hmm. I could still, you know, when some my nieces or nephews stutter or say their letters backwards, I can help them. And I know how to positively reinforce good speaking with my nieces and nephews. So, but yeah, that was my journey to get to more business side of things. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot of your life that we covered your family, mm -hmm. dating, job, any other areas that you want to touch on. I'm glad that we talked about your dad too. Well, there's things in life that you don't realize that when they're happening, how much they affect you later. Uh huh. Like, you know, as a grown up, as a teenager, I thought, you know, losing my dad was, you know, oh, my life's so different now, but it's as an adult that I really understand or see the lack of him being there or the difference that that really would have made. Mm -hmm. So that's a big part too. You know, with me feeling the way I feel where I'm, I'm just so amazing, but nobody else sees it. And tying it back to, um, being 12 years old and having a niece and nephew or, um, you know, playing soccer and soccer, you know, skipping out on running. How now as a 32 year old, I'm like, I've learned from that experience to not let those excuses or my laziness keep me out of being better at something. You know, throughout life, you, you get these, like I said, where, you know, they're kind of big moments at that moment, but it's not until later that you realize really how the experience has shaped your life and made you who you are or made you feel the way you feel. And who knows, in like a couple years, I won't feel this way. I'll feel like the other, somebody else in the circle where he had said that, you know, I wish people didn't think I was as great, like so great that I can't even live up to the expectation they have of me. Maybe in a couple of years, I'll be like, oh, my, I shine so bright that people <laughs> just think I'm more amazing than I really am. You know, how just different things in different phases of life or experiences life shape you now and in the future. No, I think that tied it in perfect. And, you know, the scripture in Matthew, um, where it just says that your light so shine. And I think that 
a lot of times we let those excuses or those insecurities um, keep us in the darkness because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it doesn't matter anyways. Like, oh, if I go talk to this person, they don't care anyways. Doing all these things. But I think the little things we do every day of just trying is what really makes us shine. And um, does that make sense? Very much. And you don't know how that one day is going to affect you in the future. So just pushing through it or doing your best, giving your all, despite whether wanting to or feeling good enough, um, has an effect in the future. So if you've listened today and you relate to Meredith and you want to be friends with her because she's so rad, shoot her email. Uh, my email, I'm going to spell it out nice and slow because it's the one I got when I was a teenager. But it's M S K Y E M. 2000 at oh. yahoo.com. Oh, you're rocking the Yahoo, Meredith. <laughs> it's still the classic. It's where I get all my good stuff. The other one's my professional one that I never really use. Way to stay strong with yeah. the Yahoo. I do have a Gmail, but it's like my more professional one, but mm. I check Yahoo much so more. So basically, she just gave you all her junk email, <laughs> yeah. but, that, but that's okay. Nobody emails the professional <laughs> one because I have a work email. So you got the cool one. <laughs> Well, Meredith, thanks for being on today. And I hope that from this experience, you just have your little moment to shine. This podcast is brought to you by Remnus Audio. If you also want to be accountable or record your journal or preserve your memories, head on over to remnusaudio.com and Steph here will take the hard work out of preserving your memories. Yeah, I will. And you don't have to put them on a podcast like we are to share with everyone every week. (laughs) 